Well, please turn to Paul's letter of the, to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 8b through 14. If you're using the notes, the third, the third point has changed a bit. It is now enjoy the light. I really appreciate what Paul says here in verse 4, that Christ will shine on you. That's a tremendous encouragement to us in our walk with God, that we know joy. We know the light of life as we walk with the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. Light in the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we acknowledge that this is your word. And we rejoice that your spirit dwells in your word, your presence is in your word. Father, I pray that as we look into these words of Paul's, that you would illumine our minds, give us light, the light of your spirit to understand them, but, but also open our hearts to receive them, that we might know the joy of our salvation. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Cathedral Caverns is an immense limestone cavern in northeast Alabama. While visiting my parents, living not too far away from that cave, uh, years ago my family and I visited that cave. Our guide led us through that cave's massive entrance. And if you've been to that cave, you saw what we saw. We saw Big Rock Canyon and Mystery River. And we marveled at Stalagmite Mountain and the frozen waterfall. We saw Goliath, this massive stalagmite that reaches 45 feet upward to the cavern ceiling. Deeper and deeper into the bowels of the cavern, our guide led us far beyond the reach of the light at the entrance. And then finally, he brought us to the end of the walkway. And at that point, he turned off the light. Uh, if you've ever experienced that, you know that darkness is total. It is a darkness that you can feel. It's a darkness that is heavy. 
It is suffocating. We feel entirely out of our element in a world like that. It is deathly. It is abhorrent and blessedly the darkness lasted for only a few moments when the light was turned on once again and my family's hearts rejoiced. Uh, That experience remains in my memory a dramatic picture of the darkness of death and the light of light. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Light is essential for life. And so throughout the Bible, we see that light represents life. It represents truth. It represents goodness. It represents God's blessing. It represents the joy and happiness we know under God's blessing. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart, the psalmist says, where the brightness of God's Favor does not shine. There is nothing but fearful darkness. But the children of God are those whom God has called from the darkness of death to the light of life. We are children of light, Paul says. He even says we are light in the Lord. It's very challenging, uh, Because of the indwelling Spirit of God, we should, in a sense, be radiating the light of life. We should be bearers of the light. We are animated by it. We should walk as light. And yet, we know that's far easier said than done, isn't it? Earlier, Paul commanded that sexual immorality and impurity must not even be named among the Ephesian believers. He reminded us that is appropriate for those who are saints, appropriate for those in whom the Spirit of God dwells. But but given the decadence of the first century, Ephesus, some in that believing community, might have thought Paul's words were a bit naive. They might have wondered, are you kidding I mean, is such a thing even possible here in Ephesus? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we might wonder the same thing. In our progress of putting off the ways that belong to our old lives as darkness and putting on the ways that belong to our new lives as light, we struggle. You and I find ourselves involved in a fight of faith. We, we look at times at the strong imperatives in God's word, and I think if we're honest at times, we wonder, is this naive? Is this even possible? But in this letter, Paul sweeps away the darkness of these kinds of doubts, and he reassures us, yes, it's possible to grow in bearing the light because by God's grace and power, you are no longer darkness, that you should walk in it. Instead, you are light in the Lord, and therefore you should walk in it. But how? One thing Paul says is we must express the light. We must express the light. Our Lord said in the gospel, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Apart from Christ, this world is as dark as midnight, but the fact that we are no longer of the darkness but now are light in the Lord means that we have to shake off all these dark doubts and discouragements and express the light. It's our privilege to. It's our destiny to. We are those whom God has 
transforming into his glory and likeness one degree of glory to another. God will not permit the remnants of darkness in his children to snuff out the light he has freely given us in Christ. And what is involved in expressing the light? One thing is pleasing the Lord. I, I think it's interesting that Paul speaks of the children of light as actually wanting to please the Lord. He simply accepts it as a given. It's our nature to. I mean, doesn't that express your desire? I mean, hasn't the Spirit given you a desire to please the Lord? It's impossible to truly know the Lord, to know His love, and not want to please Him on some level. Our Lord isn't a squinty-eyed, cruel master whom we wish was dead, and a kind of taskmaster that we obey only under compulsion and constraint and, and with resentment, our Lord loved us. He loved us when we were dead in sin and darkness, and he gave himself to death to deliver us from that prison so that we might know the joy and the happiness of life in this closest possible fellowship with him. We love the Lord because he first loved us. Our Love for the Lord is a measure of how deeply we've taken to our hearts this message of his free acceptance of us in Christ. And so that being the case, Paul repeatedly accepts as it is given that we want to please the Lord in response to his pleasure in us. He's continually stirring up our love for the Lord by reminding us of our privileges in Christ. We are chosen and predestined in Christ. We are justified by God in Christ and accepted by Him. We are adopted and loved by God in Christ. We are sanctified and freed by God's Spirit in Christ. We are destined to glory in Christ. The reason our desire to please the Lord is weak at times is because we have either forgotten or we are uninformed about the privileges God has freely given to us by simple faith alone in Christ. Privileges that we don't have to earn, privileges that we don't have to work ourselves up to, they are ours. They are ours. The moment we embrace Christ as our own. I mean, if we truly know the Lord, if we truly know his love poured out within our hearts by his spirit, we will express the light within by our desire to please our Father who gave his Son that we might live. We will want to please our Savior who gave himself up that we might live. Child of God, are you concerned at home or work? or school, or in your place of recreation about pleasing the Lord. And then Paul also talks about discerning the Lord. Paul says we must try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I think if you read Paul's letters, you'll see that one of Paul's favorite subjects is this whole matter of discernment. Discernment involves examining. It involves verifying something. Metals are examined. They are verified to determine impurities and genuineness. Love for the Lord is necessary to please Him. The Lord delights in our love for Him, but our love must have added to it discernment. We must grow in wisdom. We must grow in discernment. We must come to know his ways. You know, there was a really, really great preacher years ago. 
now with the Lord. His name was David Martin Lloyd-Jones. That's a mouthful because the man was a Welshman. But D.M. Lloyd-Jones said that there are these two great temptations that continually confront us at this point. And one is the danger of living merely on our experiences and our feelings. There are some who dislike doctrine. They dislike teaching. They're continually emphasizing the things that bring us together. And they are trying to warm our hearts. And Lloyd-Jones says that's far as, that's okay as far as it goes, but don't try to live on that. But then he said the other danger is just the opposite, being interested in doctrine and biblical truth simply in this theoretical and abstract fashion. God's truth is all in our head, but it never really affects our heart. Now, what's the way to avoid both of these temptations? It's to keep together what Paul keeps together here. It's to cultivate our desire to please the Lord but to add to it discernment. Now think about it like this. I'm sure you've noticed that we are students, aren't we? We are students of the things and the people that we love. I mean, if you have a particular hobby, for instance, you're something of a student of that particular interest. I mean, it's the same with husbands and wives. Husbands study the ways of their wives whom they love and wives of their husbands, parents of their children, children of their parents. Friends study the ways of their friends. We, we study the person we love so that we may express our love in ways that please them. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. God's not just a person whom we simply affirm the existence of. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's a good start. But God is a person. He's a person that we have a relationship with. We, he's one who loves us and whom we love. Our Father adopted us at the price of His Son. Our Savior gave Himself up for us. We want to please Him. But let us do so by growing in discernment. Studying the ways of God in His Word because God has told us in His Word what pleases Him. Discerning the Lord is a Word-focused and a Word-directed life. It involves having a Word-saturated mind. Express the Lord. And then expose the darkness. This is part of how we express the light. For the Christian life isn't simply about avoiding the darkness, it's also about exposing the darkness. When you think about it, how can it be otherwise? Light necessarily exposes, it makes visible what is present. When I use my flashlight function on my cell phone in a dark room, it exposes what is present. And the same is true of us. We don't just switch on and switch off the light. Paul says the Christian actually is light. We shine because we live in this union with the one who is the light of the world. But here's our situation. Unbelievers live in darkness. They have secrets which, if exposed, will be seen for what they really are. And it creates a challenge. I mean, think of someone buying a car from a dealer. The, the buyer doesn't simply want to see a picture of the car on the dealer's website, nor does he or she simply want to see the car in the dealer's showroom under the artificial lights, or even outside when the sky is overcast. You want to see the car's true colors in the sunlight on a clear day and in a similar way. 
the light of believers shows up the center around them in its true colors. And so here's the dawning reality. I mean, the light that believers are necessarily exposes more than we often realize. Isn't that the case? There are times when we are taken back by how others respond to us because of the light, sometimes hostily, sometimes happily. Just a little example from my own life. For a season, I was an aircraft mechanic before God called me into the ministry. And my dad liked airplanes. I liked airplanes, especially the older ones. So one day I was at the drill press in the shop, and a friend came up next to me, and he quietly said, Billy, I trust you more than anyone else here. Now, what do you do when someone says that to you? I was a little bit skeptical. And I looked at him and I thought, well, there's the wind-up. Here comes the pitch. <laughs> and so then he tells me that his girlfriend's pregnant. And he's wondering if they should get an abortion. I mean, it's happened right there at the drill press. And so we had this quiet little conversation with each other right there in the shop at the drill press and Valerie and I also prayed for this couple. Well, one day we got an invitation to the wedding and so we took, we went to the wedding, Will was just a little infant, we took him in his little carry car seat. The, the reception was really loud and raucous but he was a trooper, he slept right through it But somewhere today, in her early 30s, is a woman who's alive, and she's loved because her parents did not abort her. Now, that wasn't because of me. I'm sure my friend talked to others as well, and, and if we had time, you could share similar experiences as well. But you see, this is all a reminder to us that what we say and what we do necessarily exposes the darkness in the thinking and the deeds of others, probably more than we realize. And Paul says we expose the darkness in two basic ways. One is we do not partake in the darkness. He says, take no part in unfruitful deeds of darkness. You must not fellowship in the unfruitful deeds of darkness because we share in the light of Christ. We can't truly share in these deeds of darkness. And I love how it is that Paul calls these deeds unfruitful. He doesn't just call them darkness. He calls them unfruitful because that's as light in the Lord, that's what we judge them to be. We see these things, don't we? We see them for what they really are. They don't satisfy. There is no lasting delight that we can possibly find in these things that the world is clamoring after. It's emptiness. It's all darkness. With new natures, we treasure now and delight in the light that God delights in. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. He was a theologian during the first great awakening here in America. It was a time of great revival sent from God. And God did many 
great and mighty works in people. There was a great deal of excitement. There were some weird things that happened. There was a lot of enthusiasm for the things of religion, but the question arose was, what represents a true work of God and what represents a spiritual counterfeit? Jesus warned that some who hear the word and immediately receive it with great joy later fall away. So what represents a true work of God? And Edwards said that as he examined the scripture, he believed every work of God can be counterfeited except for one. It's holiness. In those whom God accepts by faith alone in Jesus, he also creates this new heart and this new appetite for holiness. You see, the character of God and the likeness to his character is what we treasure as light in the Lord. And interestingly, we delight in the things that God delights in because we have come to share in his spirit. And we reprove the darkness as well, isn't it? I mean, that's the second way we expose the darkness, Paul says. We rebuke, we admonish, we persuade. You know, often when you read Paul's teaching, it's interesting to reflect on how it it grows out of his own personal experience. Was there a particular person, perhaps, that was instrumental in, in exposing the darkness in Paul, bringing him to faith in Jesus? Yes, very uncomfortably so. And that person God used was Stephen, the first Christian martyr that we read about in the book of Acts. Stephen and young Saul of Tarsus, as he was known as at that point, were almost certainly members of the same synagogue in Jerusalem. And, and here was Paul, here was Paul covetously and, and energetically and, and earnestly striving with all his might to excel all his peers in the ways of Phariseeism. But then Stephen was changed by Christ and Stephen became a light of Christ in no small way. And Paul could not contend with Stephen's life. He could not contend with his wisdom and his discernment and his words. They exposed the darkness in him. And he hated Stephen for it. And he joined with others in stoning the man. And so it is sometimes as we live our lives in quiet and consistent godliness, we can hostily create hostility in some, happiness others, express the light, expose the light, enjoy the light. Paul closes off this little section with what many modern translations represent as a quote. Therefore it says, quote, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's the thing. Unlike a lot of other quotations in the Scripture that begin with these words, it says these particular words can't be found in the Scripture. Now, clearly, they're an echo of Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 2, but maybe Paul is paraphrasing, or maybe, maybe he's, as some think, quoting an early church hymn based on Isaiah's words. But, but either way, they speak of the enjoyment of the light of life that we have in Jesus, the joy. Asleep in death. Paul simply reworking here the words he spoke back in chapter 2 when he was describing our natural condition in Adam. We were asleep in the death of sin. You see, that's our natural condition. Unless God awakens us. 
with life. We're asleep in death. We are dead in sin. We are playing God. We're refusing to allow him to be Lord. We are living not for him but for ourselves. We are loving and serving and pleasing ourselves rather than God. We're trying as far as possible to be independent of him, holding him out at arm's length, holding the controls of our lives in our hands, acting as though our own pleasure is the end to which all things God included must bow. We are asleep in death unless God awakens us. I read about a man who worked in a mortuary when he attended college and seminary. One night he walked into the little darkened mortuary chapel and he saw an eerie sight. There was an open casket in front of the chapel with a body lying in it. He crept slowly up to the casket and then he slowly elevated himself so he could see the corpse's nose and he shouted, Boo! And there was no response. The corpse was asleep in death. And so are we, unless God awakens us with his grace and power, which are ours in Christ. Awaken to life. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's what happens when Christ calls us out of our death and sin to new life. His, his powerful word penetrates into our minds and our hearts, and we hear him commanding us to accept his death as the payment for our sin, and which makes us right with God. And then we don't have to labor for it. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to work our way into God's good graces. It's his gift to us freely by faith alone in Christ, and then and Christ summons us to walk with him as Lord. I, I know how the words, I love the words, Christ will shine on you. I mean, once we were darkness and death, it was, it was all emptiness. It just did not satisfy, but now we walk, and now we enjoy the light of life. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, David said. And again, as I did months ago, I quote Augustine, one of my favorite quotes. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true, the sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place, you who are sweeter than all pleasure. Jesus promised, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness but we'll have the light of life. Now we are light in the Lord. Let us therefore walk as children of light. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we are so grateful that you looked upon us as we slumbered in the darkness of death and sin and you loved us and you sent your son to the cross to be cursed under your wrath for our sin to taste the depths of darkness 
for our sin so that we might know the light of life, that we might know the joy of fellowship with you, that we might know your spirit and love poured out within our hearts so that we might walk in this world as light in the Lord. Father, it's difficult. Over and over as we have studied this letter, we have acknowledged that it's difficult to walk with you. It's difficult to walk as your children. It's difficult to walk as the light. And there are times when, because we feel squeezed by the world, we feel squeezed by our circumstances, we feel we are struggling because of the remnants of darkness even within your children. There are times when we wonder, is this realistic? Is this possible? Father, we pray that you would take away the doubt, darkness of doubts and misunderstanding. Remind us again of the privileges we have in the gospel by simple faith. We know that we are those you have chosen for salvation. We are those you have justified and accepted by faith in Christ. We are those you have adopted and loved in Christ. We are those you have sanctified and set apart from the darkness by the Spirit. We are those you have destined for glory. And right now in this secret and wonderful way below the perhaps the horizon of our awareness, you are renewing us one degree of glory to another. Lord, in all of these ways, because of these privileges that are ours by simple faith in Jesus, help us walk no longer in darkness, but as what we are, light in the Lord. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.